on this episode of AV Week, Midwich cuts the ribbon on a brand new innovation house. What's involved and where something like this makes sense over in the States? Avixa unveils rising AV employment numbers and emerging technologies that are making an impact on the industry. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 509, recorded Friday, May 21st, 2021. Experience it. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Crestron and by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week. First and foremost, you know her as AV Dawn, Dawn Mead. From parts are not, not, not unknown, she uh, is over my Maryland way. Where she works is a secret. So uh, how are you, ma'am? Very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show this week. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, a young man I got to meet uh, through our friends over to Vixa, and I have been uh, negligent to get him on, and I finally kind of said, oh, yeah, I, I need to have Nick on. Uh, Nick, uh, knee neighbor, uh, is from WeWork uh, out by New York Way. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Absolutely. And last but not least, uh, a gentleman who uh, doesn't need any introduction because he has his own show, his unboxing uh, show for Extron, Chris Unboxing Buck. Greetings and salutations. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, first uh, story comes to us over from our friends over at AV Network. Avixa uh, has uh, unveiled uh, the latest uh, report, have say, uh, indicating that there is clear employment growth in the AV sector. Uh, from um, uh, the, the report, uh, and it actually comes from their uh, Pro AV Business Index. Uh, AV Employment Index came in at 57.2%, uh, 57.2, sorry, that is a measure, not a percentage, uh, which is up from 51.8% uh, 51.8 uh, points in March. It's the sixth consecutive month of payroll expansion uh, in the industry. Um, what they're going to, what they're shooting for is they're probably going to shoot for about 60 uh, by the end of um, by the end of the summer, uh, what this means in, as far as um, jobs. Um, last year, pre-pandemic, we had about seven hundred seventy thousand jobs in uh, last year. That went down <laughs> to two hundred sixty-six uh, at the end of of last year. Um, Don, I'm going to start with you on this. Does this growth ring true to, for you or for the people you know in the industry? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that you got to keep in mind, like you said, you know, the employment in our industry did drop during COVID. Everybody's employment dropped during COVID because nobody had any money and nobody could do any work. So smaller companies, which our industry is full of, just maybe couldn't do, you know, couldn't keep their staff on, couldn't afford the payroll during a time when they weren't able to go and physically do the work. Um, so there will be some bounce back effect, but I also see a lot of growth happening because We've discovered during the pandemic that a whole lot of people rely on audiovisual products a lot more than they realized. And, you know, it's something that I've talked about amongst friends, you know, with all the supply chain issues that are going on since COVID started, that the demand for 
consumer electronics and commercial electronics has gone up significantly because people were stuck at home. You know, dad might have symptoms and the rest of the family doesn't. So he quarantines in his kid's room and he realizes his kid doesn't have a TV or has a crappy TV or they're not quarantining, but they're working from home and their home office has terrible tiny monitors or no big, you know, uh, cameras and mics and things that you need for the Zoom remote work world. So the demand is going up as we start coming back to work. A lot of these projects, both at home and in the workplace, are still moving forward. I know my own company is actually hiring for some AV folks, which we never hire anybody. And if we do, it takes forever. But we're hiring now. And it's simply because companies are realizing that they have a lot more space that they can do a lot more tech with. And it's not every room is $200,000 like it was a, a, a generation ago. It's, it's more affordable. And until they completely do away with social distancing, there will be a need for more tech ready or at the very least Zoom, Skype ready, Teams ready workrooms at a lot of companies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what you should actually do when you do when you host um, a podcast like this is you actually read your notes before you start speaking them. I totally jacked up all of those numbers. Uh, that seven hundred and sixty-six thousand and two that was not AV numbers. That was actually the, the the growth rate in the U.S. for jobs. We so that's that. Um, so so there's that part. Uh, the other part is it's it's a growth index. Uh, so fifty. A fifty means zero growth. Um, obviously, less than fifty would be a, a drop in growth, and up uh, above fifty is is growth uh, jobs added in the industry. So, Nick, same question to you. I was going to say before he goes, for what it's worth, even with the corrected numbers, my statement stands. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. No. Um, same question. Are, are, are you seeing folks, the folks that you talk to, uh, Nick's in in New York? Uh, obviously, there was a lot of shutdown. Uh, depending on on. Who you are? Uh, I am personally kind of excited about the fact that I'm already hearing advertisements for Hamilton coming back to, to New York, uh, starting in September. Just for the record, back to the Rogers Theater. That's not a commercial. That's just me being excited because I've never seen it in New York. So you'll be in the room when it happens. I don't think so. Oh, very nice. nice. Okay, we should just pause and appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but Nick, um, what are you hearing, uh, both you know, in and around New York, but also throughout the industry? Sure. Um, yeah, I agree with Dawn. I think it's coming back. I think there's a range of factors that are influencing it, but the biggest one is just, as Dawn already said, uh, companies that may have deprioritized AV and unified communications or had, you know, didn't fully understand the, the place for it in a world where the assumption was everybody is in the office, suddenly had a really rude awakening about what it means to be remote, uh, what it means to actually work remotely, and, and the prioritization for that kind of equipment and that kind of service uh, just shot through the roof in the last year. So there was definitely a stagnant period where obviously, unfortunately, a lot of people lost work and then nobody was adding work. But the people who I talk to most often, um, service managers for, for corporations or, and also integrators and, and contractors, um, have absolutely seen a huge spike in demand in the last couple of months and are absolutely hiring, which is great news. All right. Chris, we mentioned before, uh, he works for Extron. Extron is one of our fantastic sponsors. Um, you are out uh, by California way, uh, both from a, a, a you know personal standpoint as well as what you're hearing from your clients and, 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 and their customers. Uh, does this, this, this growth uh, ring true for you guys? You bet. It's gangbusters right now. In fact, I've been with the company 21 years and I've never been busier. So 
really over the last nine months. Really? Say that off. again, because that 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 is not that that's not surprising, but already, again, this is the end of May when we're recording this. So we're just now, folks are just now getting, you know, back. Some of them haven't even gotten back to work. So you're busier than you have been in 21 years. Yep. By a significant margin. And wow. people that I'm working with seem to be in the same boat. So it's awesome. The high tide is raising all boats, whether you're a manufacturer or an installer or a designer or a support staff that's commissioning or dealing with stuff that people are turning back on and finding out is broken because it's been left alone for a year and it's been kicked around and it's busted. Uh, I can't say from not being an HR uh, engaged in employment at Extra, I can say that we're hiring hundreds of open job positions on our website worldwide. We're always looking for good people who love AV. I was fortunate enough to stumble into this industry straight out of college. So they've had me half my life. It's been an amazing ride and it's more exciting than ever right now. The only points that I thought of when I was reading the article here is, does the report really reference worldwide employment numbers or are they really just focusing on US? Because when you average everything together, you take in, for example, what's going on in India and the surrounding region, that's gonna be in a different situation than the United States and Europe are going to be and I can't imagine all territories doing equally well. So how does that affect the numbers? We're fortunate enough being a global company with 40 offices worldwide that we're resilient in not only that aspect, but we also make 5,000 different part SKUs. So we're in, you name it, broadcast, corporate, education, house of worship, judicial, command and control. If one's down, another one's up and it works out in the end in the wash. The, from what I'm reading in the, in the article here is it looks like it's referencing just U.S. simply because they compare and contrast that with the U.S. job market numbers, right? Okay. Um, I could be reading that wrong. I should have had Sean Ward on from Avixa or at least talk to him at some point this week. The odd part of that is I did talk to him this week and I just didn't talk about this. So, um, For what it's worth, Tim, um, I think that I would imagine anyway that a lot of the global numbers would be similar in areas where they've gotten the pandemic under control. Now, obviously, there are some parts of the world, as you mentioned, that are still having serious issues. But in some of the places where the restrictions are easing back a little or more people are getting vaccinated, I would imagine they had the same drop in AV employment and then the same subsequent boom in it afterwards. That absolutely tracks. I mean, I, I referenced a lot of my friends and colleagues in the United States, but uh, we do have locations in Australia and the feedback from my team in Australia who got this under control months ago, um, they've basically been pressing us for things like uh, scopes of work and, and new system designs and, you know, what can we do to go hybrid um, for months. We, we in New York were nowhere near ready for it and they've been ready for it for a while. So that's totally true, Don. Yeah, that's been very interesting in, in watching other folks. I think uh, Australia is one of the first places in the world to have uh, both theater come back as well as live uh, in-person concerts and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think to your point, Don, from what I've heard, uh, they're still doing a, a, a degree of social distancing. Occupancy is, uh, you know, they're calling it 100% occupancy is my understanding, but it is lower than it was pre-pandemic at 100%, which is for, for and introvert and a bit of an antisocial person like myself, I think that's fantastic. But uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll see how that bears out over time. Yeah, sometimes you wonder when you get in an elevator how you could fit 28 people in there. But Yeah, <laughs> getting into elevators or subway cars today, you know, I'm back I'm in the office now, getting into things like elevators and subway cars today and feeling as uncomfortable as it is today with 20% of the people and then remembering 
you know, just a year ago, this would have been 10 times as full and I would have thought it was just perfectly normal. Yeah. We just got real close friends with some strangers. <laughs> yeah, and was it I read yesterday uh, where New York is, is starting back up 24-hour subway service, right? Uh, and they are going yeah. to increase, not to not to give Nick any any, any uh, nightmares, but they are going to increase that, that, that percentage as well uh, as the months go on. So absolutely. Yeah. It's... It's time. I mean, I, I, I as much as anybody, uh, wish that the, the restrictions had been tighter, that we collectively had done more to get it under control and get it under control sooner. But uh, it's time. There's vaccines. Vaccines are available. It's come to a point where, you know, it really is just about your own risk tolerance and, and your own uh, sense of responsibility for yourself and your community. So uh, it's my opinion is it's way past time, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I was very excited. Uh, as someone who has gotten fully vaccinated now, that I can get back into the EU uh, apparently this week. So, all right, uh, I won't be going to ISE this year, but certainly uh, Barcelona is looking more and more likely uh, for next year. Uh, next uh, piece comes from our friends over at uh, Commercial Integrator and Justin Schwartz. Eight emerging technologies for AV integrators and interior designers that make a whole lot of sense. Before we start this, I will point out the fact that Mr. Schwartz uses the term 3D, so I almost have to send him an email already. Um, 3D wallpaper at that, I understand it. I'm just, it's a joke about 3D, guys. Um, but we'll start with you, Nick, on this. He, he puts a lot of, a lot of um, interesting points in here. Uh, design apps, which have been around for, for a while, but that makes a whole lot of sense. Soundproof blinds, though, is something that actually has, has come into their own the last couple of years. Uh, you've seen uh, 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 smart... Um, privacy glass this is the glass that has the frosting and you can with a basically with the electrical charge to, to turn it quote unquote on or off basically it's opaque or it's it's clear um also vr and ar uh in in av what on this list did did uh did justin either leave off or what's something that you want to kind of uh dig a little bit deeper on and say yes absolutely this this belongs in in uh, in the corporate av market so my biggest focus for uh, most of the last year, and I think the last time I talked to Don, we were talking about this, is trying to get people to understand that like the future of AV, the future of collaboration, not really futuristic technology. I think augmented reality and virtual reality are very cool. I can imagine applications where they would be useful, but the technologies that I think are most useful and most uh, important for people today are just basic acoustic treatments, basic things that improve your production values. Dawn mentioned her new camera. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking here on a pair of headphones. I know I could be doing better. Um, but the, the sort of shock, I think, to a lot of people of what it takes to get a remote experience, a video conferencing experience right, and make sure that your own participation is adding to the conversation and not detracting from the conversation, I think uh, that's technology and, and design language that we actually understood very well before the pandemic. But again, for various reasons, it wasn't really prioritized. It wasn't really uh, something that was uh, the focus over over maybe fancier, more fun technology or over design that was really beautiful, but not super functional. So um, I think the soundproof blinds is probably the thing in that list that excited me the most. Uh, augmented reality, I actually, I gotta say, more than virtual reality, I think there's tremendous potential in augmented reality. I just don't think we're there yet. I think that there's a couple of hard infrastructure limitations, you know, uh, bandwidth, the, the typical uh, uh, internet connection on a mobile device particularly is the one that jumps to mind right away. 
And there's some user experience design uh, hurdles that I don't think we've really cleared yet. But I think augmented reality, as far as wearables, things that you can put on and do your task as if it were normal, but then have you know the, the benefit of either someone else watching and helping you or the benefit of easier access to information. There's a huge potential there. Um, that's a space that I think is going to be really interesting in the next couple of years that I don't think is really ready for prime time today. And I, I 100% with you because that that's, there is, is there's, there's an entire segment of education and help desk type situations where augmented reality are 100%. Uh, we just got to get there with some connectivity and, and some of the, tech, the, the wearable technology. Yeah, I mean, if you think back to when Google Glass launched, right, and it was a, a big joke because nobody would legitimately put that on as a, a piece of technology that you just wear around other humans. But then when Google, I, if I recall right, they divested of Glass and another company picked up the same technology. And the first thing they did with it was put it in the hands of remote engineers. So someone who's servicing an engine or servicing a complicated mechanical system can put on the glasses and then someone back at home base can be seeing what they're seeing, hearing what they're hearing, and walking them through the service process. That's what it always should have been as a, a selfie tool or a, you know, whatever it may have imagined it was going to be up front, that's the right application for it in my opinion. And think about this, and I don't know if you guys are, are, are like me, but I've, I have watched so many YouTube videos that I have learned how to do things around the house. Right? I am not the most mechanically inclined person, right? My, my father has always been, and I learned a handful of things to be dangerous, but I've, I fixed my washing machine, I fixed the dry, I, I fix all sorts Good of job. things. And think about, you know, being able to watch that YouTube video and, and I'm giving somebody, some creator somewhere an idea where instead of, oh, hey, here's me at the table showing you how to do it, I'm going to film it in such a way that you can watch it with your augmented reality glasses and physically do it right there laying on, over top of it, right? Uh, it's really, really a, a great, great use case. Um, Chris, same question. Here's what, what are some things that, that uh, Justin points out that are absolutely 100% or what's some things that he may have missed that you think are, that belong here? Okay. Well, first thing I ran across that we're already using in that list is the ranch restaurant at the bottom of the headquarters building that I work out of in Anaheim uses privacy glass. So you mentioned the diffusion glass. We've got that in cases where you want an intimate and closed space. So it's available upon request. And of course, it's controlled by Extron control systems. Article mentioning the sound masking with the shades, I thought was really interesting, actually, because I would like to know if it can be quantified how much sound isolation that offers versus just getting dual pane and triple pane glass, especially if I'm giving up natural light to get it. And I was just doing a job walk on Tuesday where there was a retrofit of an old building and they debating back and forth whether they want to put these smart shades in and it came to a quarter million dollars. So they elected not to install them. So there is a definite cost, even if you're a consumer and you're putting in some shades in your house to these. So sometimes that can be prohibitive. But one thing it does inside the room, which is great, we get back to the earlier comment I think Nick was making about room treatment, is that would be great for room reverberation. It would be a deadening material instead of a hard, flat surface. So the people that you're talking to would appreciate it. The other thing that we use, though, when we don't use those shades is just large acoustic panels, which was also mentioned in earlier conversation. Anything to soften up the room and help out with standing waves and the like is good news. So being an audio guy, I was drawn into that for a while thinking about that. 
As far as 3D goes, to your uh, comment on 3D, Tim, I've actually had cases in custom installations where odd-shape objects are projected on. And you think Cirque du Soleil, for example. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff, right? You have programs that you enter dimensions in 3D space of these surfaces, and video is warped to fit on it. So you'll have custom content, and you'll make it fit on this surface. You can also bring now with this kind of technology people into space before it's even been built. They can see and walk around and move around and see where everything's going to fit before it's installed. That's cool. And being a car nut, I also see cars now, I think it's Mercedes and BMW, are putting augmented reality in the GPS so you can actually see as you're driving, if you look at the screen, you can see the live camera from the front of the vehicle and where you're going to turn. It's not just a matter of there's a traffic light, you'll turn at the traffic light. This is where you're going to turn. And I think that's really cool. So it's already happening in the real world if you pay for a nice car. Sooner or later, that'll water down to less expensive cars. I haven't seen it really in a ordinary commercial installation yet, but you know how it is. Technology gets more powerful and cheaper. So sooner or later, that'll mm. become more commonplace. What isn't mentioned, I think, in the list of eight cool things that could be talked about more is transition from incandescent and fluorescent lighting to LED for a number mm. of reasons. It can be powered off PoE, which is stellar. It's physically much smaller, so you can fit it in places that you couldn't before. You don't have a big ballast in your way and transformer and all these other things. You can change the color temperature. You can change the color to something cool. And I even have a customer that's put it in their demo center for all of the ceiling lighting, and it'll illuminate a path with just zone ceiling lights. Oh, this is how you wow. get out if the power goes out or there's an emergency. So they'll have a UPS for the network switch that's running PoE to all the lights. I thought that was outstanding. I thought that was cool. Yeah. And you can totally, totally match the color temperature you want for uh, conferencing versus a teaching versus a movie watching scenario because you can, of course, also do levels of brightness. So I thought that was cool. And that can also be remote controlled with a control system. So I think that deserves honorable mention or more time in the limelight. I know I've got 28 LED BR40s in the house. So I've got LED all over the place. But a couple of my friends have taken it a step farther. And they've got all the strips under the counter so you can light up with mood lighting in the kitchen and this and that. So. The other aspect of lighting that people don't think about, well, at least in the commercial space, I learned about it through our friends at Cedia and, and Matt Scott and, and the Resi Show, and that is the color temperature as far as your circadian rhythm. And as the day right. goes on, especially if you're in an internal, like here at the Aviation Studios, uh, we have internal offices, but your lighting can change and adjust, and as it gets later in the day, it can get you know warmer and give you more yep. you know energy and this, that, and the other. So, yeah, absolutely. Don, you'll have the last word on this one. What uh, what makes sense here? Or what what are we missing? Well, uh, quite a lot of it actually makes sense to me, um, and in fact, quite a lot of it we're already using at my undisclosed location in a federal adjacent vertical. Um, <laughs> I will say, and I I apologize in advance if any of these are brand names. I'm not necessarily plugging anything. I'm just saying what we've called them, but we use snap glass or the privacy glass quite extensively uh, in closed spaces and in open spaces, just because if you're walking down the hall and you're talking about, you know, talking about whatever, you don't want to glance into a fancy glass conference room and see something you're not supposed to see. So they get those and turn those on, keeps, you know, private things private, just as the name says, privacy glass. 
Um, I'm very excited about the concept of the uh, acoustic shades or acoustic blinds. Uh, I can't remember what there's Chris or Nick at this point, but one of you said um, great for, you know, taking down, like absorbing the sound in some of those glass or marble or what have you areas. I think that's a fantastic use case. Um, Chris, even though it's not on the list, I 10,000% agree with the point on LED lighting. In fact, um, one of the new demo centers that I just finished building for one of my customers um, that includes a ton of LED lighting in the space for their customers. And it includes down to the detail of we can match the exact shades of the company logo on some of the accent lighting so that when they walk in, it's definitely experience of our company and what our company can do for you just from the rate, great, you know, rate up front ambiance. Um, one of the things that was on the list though, that nobody talked about and I think is really cool and uh, you know, okay, she's the girl, she's looking about the pretty things, but you know, let's talk about the pretty things. There was mention of some design apps that a lot of mm. architects and interior designers are starting to use. And I've not played with the commercial apps, but there are game apps and and consumer apps that are similar, where you can sit and pull up a, a living room and then sit and pick what color your couch is going to be or what pattern or, or you know, what color the carpet should be, what the wall should look like, how it all comes together. I, I mean, certain high-end clothing stores, they have, you know, you can upload your picture and just try on outfits to see how they look with your skin tone or your hair color. I mean, it's it's a similar concept, and we're taking it commercial with some of these apps. And on the commercial front, they can load in, and I will use some brand names here. Again, not an endorsement, just a statement. They can load in Hayworth or whoever the furniture manufacturer is and see all the patterns that are available on their chairs and their um, tables and, and things and then drop it into their space, whether it's using the BIM designs or the architectural CAD drawings or just photographs. Yeah. And they can play that way and get a real feel for what they're going to get as an end result and get it approved by customers in advance before they build this or order this and spend a ton of money. So I think that with the lighting and, and the ability to make private or, or free up spaces, uh, there's a lot of potential here. And I think, uh, you know, like I said, my company's already using a lot of it. Y'all will be using it soon. All right. Very good. Last story here comes to us from our friends over at AV magazine. Uh, this is interesting to me. Um, the UK's largest multi-brand experience center has officially opened this week. Uh, it's the home of five distributors within the Midwich Group. So it's kind of a little bit, bit of a misnomer. Midwich Group owns all of them. Um, I don't, yeah, I, it, I'll just say it, you know, uh, I guess full disclosure. Uh, our buddy Chris Netto works, uh, and a bunch of our friends actually, work for Sterin, which is a part of the Midwich Group. Um, but um, they're not a sponsor, but, you know. Chris and I are in and Dawn, actually. We love them anyway. <laughs> um, but I just find it interesting, right? It, it's uh, it, the, the link will take you to the AV Magazine page, and you need to look, click on the video because this thing is, is pretty freaking sweet. And, and the one part about this is um, I, I understand a little bit of the, the business model in the UK, and, and you know, Jason or, or Kevin or anybody else can, can uh, uh, email me and tell me what part of this I get wrong from the UK side. But the vast majority of manufacturing uh, relationships in, in Europe is through, is through distributorship. Like you don't have, like in, in the U.S., Conference Technologies, you know, uh, ABI, SPL, you know, whoever, um, they have direct dealerships with Extron, with, you know, Shure. 
in the UK and in other parts of, of, of Europe, it goes through distributorship. You still know people like Chris Bach, right? Chris Bach is still going to call on you in London, but where you actually physically purchase it through is typically through a distributorship, right? So this is typically how, how folks get their product. What I find interesting here is this is basically a ginormous experience center where you can say, see all of these disparate systems integrate, which is what we do, uh, right? We integrate these systems together. I, I just find it fascinating. Um, Chris, I'll start with you on this. My, my main question is here, I, I have long held that there are things that, that are done in Europe that we simply cannot do here in the States, simply because of the, geo ge the geography of the U.S. One of those is an incredible kick-ass rail system, right? They have, you know, one of the best in the world. The U.S., eh, not so much. <laughs> um, Car culture. Yeah, but, you know, getting from, you know, L.A. to, you know, Wyoming would be, it's a flight, right? Or it's a long car drive. It's a whole other conversation. I'm not going to get into it. But but what, looking at this, is this something that, that could fly here? Does this make sense for, for at least our market or our culture? Or is this something that because of the of the size and shape and, and closeness of everything there, that makes a whole lot of sense for them. But we're, we're not you know, ready for something like that here. I'm not sure. Experience centers are very handy and make great mm -hmm. business sense. We've got them scattered all over the U.S. and all over the globe. The closest one for me, other than headquarters, is San Jose. And I'm routinely supporting that office, bringing up customers for potential opportunities to size up needs and come up with a solution as well as conduct training. Those offices aren't just available for resellers, like you pointed out, but their customers too. So yeah. we have engineers and sales staff there confident on our line to be able to answer questions on the fly as they come up. And I guess that's really the question that I have. Like Extron does, we're, we're unique in this conversation that we don't use distributors, especially if they rep a bunch of different companies. It's tough enough just trying to be an expert on everything Extron does, let alone two dozen or a dozen or however many different product lines. A lot of our stuff is complicated, so you can't just look at a comparison chart. Half the time we see comparison charts from other companies and they've got misinformation in there and it's unfair in specsmanship games for people that don't know any better that are looking trying to make a decision. So when you say you can go into a place like this and make a side-by-side -side comparison, how do you know that there are people there competent to speak about that product or that it's set up perfectly and updated. I just don't know. Uh, distributors there would need to play nice and coordinate those opportunities. Don't those distributors in some cases, aren't they competitors sort of going after the same? Well, that's the thing is they, they're all part of Midwich group, right? So they're not competitors, but yes, if, if this was the U S putting Almo in the same space as Starin, as Exertus, right? That would be, a little bit of, of a interesting uh, mix, but you know what? If Stern opened up their own, or if Almo opened opened up their own experience center, right, in various places, I could certainly see that uh, working and happening. And maybe they do it with in conjunction with with you know yeah. some of their their vendors. Don, same kind of question here. I mean, I I would argue that you and Nick uh, probably have the biggest chance of seeing something like this in your neighborhoods, simply because of the east the, the eastern seaboard, right? That that is a right. large concentration of human beings, large concentration of AV. Uh, so is this something that makes sense for you as an end user, as, as a technology manager now? Um, and, and would you like to see something like this happen? So 
I'm going to go a little bit of a mixed message here. <laughs> Anyone that's watched this show before when I've appeared and we've talked about things like Infocom and whether there's still value in going or ISC and whether there's still value in going, those sorts of things. I've been a pretty outspoken critic of the experience center concept as it is in the U.S., which is the only one I've had ex experience with. And, you know, no offense to Chris and all of my other friends at other manufacturers that have experience or design centers, but it takes away that aspect of being able to take company A's product A and company B's product B and with a short walk, see them side by side or how they work together or don't work together. And you get that comparison at trade shows that is lacking in what the Americans now know as the experience center, where it's all one manufacturer, one ecosystem kind of thing. You, you don't get that active comparison to see apples to apples. So in that regard, you know, I've always been against it. However, the idea that they're doing here in the UK is fantastic because it does have different manufacturers. Granted, you don't have tons of head-to-head, -head, you know, um, companies that are exactly the same product, head-to-head -head probably, but you do have multiple manufacturers. You can see how they interact, react together, how they integrate, which is, as you said, very important. Um, and so in that regard, it's fantastic. It would be a great concept if they could do something like that here. Even if it would mean that, you know, Extron would have their little booth here and one of their competitors would have their little booth here and, you know, somebody else would have their little booth here, at least we would be able to go to one spot and test and compare and contrast products and see how we want to design our systems to best utilize the products that are available. Um, though, Tim, you did mention one of the key factors, and that's the scope and scale of our country compared to Europe. I mean... You know, please, anyone watching this from not America, I'm not being all, you know, imperialist here or rah-rah USA, but simply size-wise, it's a ridiculous comparison. I have people from Scotland that I'm friends with that complain about having to drive all the way from Glasgow to Edinburgh, 46 miles. Meanwhile, my commute every day is that distance. And that's not even, I, I'm considered to be working local, you know, um, the distance to travel from the most Southern point in the, in the UK to the most Northern point in the UK. So straight through England and up through Scotland, you can do it in like 15 hours, which some people do that in a single day driving in the U S <laughs> heck, we drove back from Disney one time after a hurricane and it took just slightly longer than that. And we weren't going from the bottom of Florida to the top of tippy top of the U.S. And we yeah. certainly weren't going diagonally. So, you know, it's not going to be as easy for America to do something like this, um, particularly out where Tim is in the middle of the country, flyover country, they like to call it. There are vast, vast, vast distances between major cities. And it's not a simple matter of, hey, let's hop in the car and go to the multi-manufacturer experience center and see what products we want. It might work out in California, might work out here on the East Coast, but I think as a whole, America would have to have a total rethink of how we demo and, and view products, or we would have to have a complete collapse of all of our trade shows and rep events before something like this would be feasible here. Yeah. Nick, uh, Don makes a good point. Is this, you know, it, are those regional shows and, and even Infocom, right? Infocom moved to, to October. Is that kind of our our version of that? 
That's probably the closest that we'll ever get. Yeah, I think uh, in bringing up the idea of geography, like yeah, it's it's where could you put such a center that would be convenient to you know most of even your region, much less most much less most of the country. And I think on the eastern seaboard, you could pick one or two spots that would make uh, um, you know some people happy and would make other people very unhappy. If you wanted to go central, then you're going to make somebody like me travel you know ten to twelve hours away from new york city which for the right thing i would do right but um yeah i don't i don't I, i'm kind of with dawn in that i think uh, and this is probably my perspective as sort of an end user who then got pushed up through design and through service management but i don't get a ton of value over out of the executive briefing center concept which is typically what it's called here more than an experience center um you know for one thing and this is probably heresy adjacent but for one thing when you look at the actual functionality and value of a lot of av equipment there's just not that much difference from from one product line to another a, a 4k tv is a 4k tv you might have put a prettier wrapper on it you might have added some features you might have made it more user friendly but from an engineering perspective the base functionality is pretty much exactly the same no matter what manufacturer you go to and that extends to speakers and speaker wire and amplifiers and projectors and led panels and you know within any given product line there's going to be a variance from the budget conscious to the top of the line in performance but that's pretty consistent from one company to the next so when it comes to like a, a an experience center or an executive briefing center experience it's cool it's nice to see you know what one company uh does when they put their best foot forward and they say, you know, this is as good as it gets from us. Um, I I like the idea of the multi-manufacturer experience center a little bit more, but I think Dawn also already called out that um, if it's really all part of Midwich Group, how much are they really going to show you the competition from one product to another if it's all part of their product line eventually? Um, what I would be super interested in, and one of the reasons I'm glad Chris is here, it's one of the reasons I really like Extron, I would love to see somebody, this would probably have to be an integrator, build their own experience center where they throw all kinds of disparate stuff together and build systems out of it. Not, you know, not Extron end to end, but say Extron connectivity between, you know, QSC audio and Samsung video and maybe Cisco optics to get the video uh, conferencing element in there. Whatever it might be, I would love to see more people explicitly demonstrating how you make those interconnects and how you can mix manufacturers and mix product lines together to get the experience you want. Because that is where, to me, it gets much more interesting. The, the difference between two amplifiers might not be that big of a deal, but the difference between an amplifier that's got a Crestron backend and an Extron backend might actually be monumental if you dive into it and see what the experiences are like. That would be interesting and in, in having several different types of integrated solutions. So yeah, absolutely. To, to your point exactly, you know, that's the kind of thing that sort of changed how we buy PCs, because I'm going to show my age here for a second. But back when I got my first PC to go away to college, it was a Hewlett Packard. And they had their very specific motherboard that fit with their very specific cards that fit with their very specific drives. And when one of those broke, you couldn't just go to the local computer shop and buy a new bit of RAM or a new you know, what have you, you had to get one that fit their proprietary thing. So while I love as an end user, the ease of, you know, ecosystem, Extron, ecosystem, you know, uh, Crestron, ecosystem, whomever, you know, 
end-to-end one company. The reality is that end-to-end one company concept failed in the computer world, other than Macs, but you know, they're their own thing. We don't talk about them. <laughs> but in the PC world, it's, <laughs> it's you know, the, the sort of agnostic view of things is what won. And we have that example to look at and say, while we love the ecosystem concept in AV, just doing the ecosystem concept and not playing nice with others ultimately could probably would fail. Absolutely. And I will throw one in and I know we're over time here. So Mitchell's going to shoot me. Um, the supply chain issues that we were currently experiencing and we're going to continue to experience, and I'm not going to get into this, this whole thing, um, does actually lend itself to more the integrated side and the, the playing nice side, right? As opposed to all of our eggs in one basket. Yes, from a manufacturing standpoint, Chris, that's what you guys would have seen, right? And I, I agree with the ecosystem in general. But the, the ability to have those options, especially in times like this, uh, where we, we were facing some serious shortages uh, coming down the pipeline in the next three to months to probably at least in the next year and a half. Yep. Um, so that's, that's uh, on that happy note. Uh, thank you guys so much. Don Mead, thank you, ma'am. How do people connect with you? Well, you absolutely cannot find me at work unless you're already working with me, so I can't tell you that. But you can always find me hosting AV Social, and we have a brand new AV Social episode that just dropped today, episode 46, Cloak and Dagger. Um, so please feel free to check that out. You can find me here showing up uh, on AV Nation, AV Week, periodically, as much as Tim will let me, because I like to talk. And of course, you can always find me on all the socials, either Dawn Mead, M-E-A-D-E, or at AV Dawn. Absolutely. Thank you, ma'am. Nick, thank you, sir. Very good to have you on. Uh, like I said, I've interviewed Nick and been on panels a number of times and finally got him on the show. So how do people connect with you, sir? Uh, great question. Uh, I did mention up front that I'm pretty antisocial, but if you find me on LinkedIn, I'd be happy to have a conversation for sure. All right. Very good. And last but not least, Mr. Unboxing himself, Chris Bach uh, from Extron, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, how do people connect with you and or Extron? I am on LinkedIn. Extron is on LinkedIn. I'm also uh, doing those out-of-the-box videos, as you mentioned, once in a while. So you'll see me doing that if you're subscribed to those small screen triumphs. Otherwise, you'll see me in a car driving down a highway somewhere in California and Arizona going to commission something. Or a record store, one of the two. That uh, is right. Well. If you're not watching the video, go watch the video because you can see Chris's incredibly impressive uh, uh, vinyl connect collection. That's so, a fraction yeah, of the inventory also. Good Lord. All right. Uh, for me, don't follow me on the Twitters. Uh, the Blues are in the playoffs, so I'll be talking about that. Uh, and the Bears still don't know how to pick a freaking uh, whatever. Uh, and the, the, the Bears still don't know how to pick anybody for a draft. So that's a whole other story. Uh, but go by the website, if you would, please. Avionation.tv. That's avionation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including... Dawns that she already mentioned, AV Social. Uh, I was actually very excited about this this episode, so go check that one out as well. Also, uh, Resi Week uh, looks at the residential side of AV. Also, uh, check out our sponsors, folks like Extron. We thank them for their support. They help us bring you AV Week and Resi Week and all the others. And starting in September, uh, AV Nation will be back in person at trade shows, uh, starting with Cedia. Uh, this part of AV Week is going to NAB for the first time ever. So that'll be an experience. Um, and I know that, X, well, Extron is listed as a, as a vendor. I don't know if, what you guys are doing there yet. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, and then, of course, Infocom in October. So all that and more at avionation.tv. That's avionation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.
Thank you.